Well, good evening. Thank you for joining us this evening as we continue our series entitled Elephants in the Church. And tonight we're looking at an elephant that is very pervasive in our culture, and that is pornography. One that uh, we don't talk much about in the church, but I think that we should. And I know that Blake, our youth and family minister, has talked about it in uh, classes with the youth group, and I've asked him to join me in the discussion tonight as, as he shares some information that he has shared with the teens. Uh, it's not strictly a teenage problem, but it definitely is one that uh, teens deal with. And so we're going to focus in their direction, but also for everyone here. And if we have some time uh, at the end of our discussion, we'll let you ask uh, some questions if we have time for that. So Blake, if you would, give us an idea of kind of how pervasive this problem is. I mean, our culture seems to be saturated with this nowadays, but maybe people don't necessarily know just how big of a problem it is. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I'm glad those are the reasons you invited me to join you um, for this talk. I was afraid he thought he was bringing in the experts, and that's definitely not what we wanted. Um, <laughs> I read an article um, written in the, uh, a New York magazine, and it said that pornography is the wallpaper of our society. And another point in the article, it referred to pornography as being the white noise that our culture lives with. And, and I don't know that before I took this job that I would have necessarily agreed with that. Um, but as I have studied, especially last year when I prepared to teach on this topic, and as I have read, it has become more and more evident to me how true that really is. Um, a lot of this started back in, well, it started a long time ago, but it started back in, the, in 1988. There was a Supreme Court ruling in California. Um, a man was put on trial. Um, he was charged with pandering for producing a pornographic video. And the Supreme Court in 1988 ruled that that was okay, that he could not be prosecuted under prostitution laws. And ever since then, pornography has been gaining more and more of a foothold in our society. Um, a lot of things have happened since then. Um, but I would say in 2007 was probably one of the biggest turning points. As those of you who are technology savvy know what happened in 2007, and that was the iPhone was released for the first time. And since the iPhone and since the advent of the smartphone, um, we have been given something, um, anonymity. Can't tell you how many times I've practiced that word in my office, hoping <laughs> that I say it the right way. But we've been given anonymity um, by being able to view pornography on the Internet and now on this little device that lives in our pockets in the privacy of wherever we are. So this anonymity has led to a pervasiveness, and the pervasiveness has given way to uh, cultural acceptance. Um, as we've begun, as it has infiltrated into our lives more and more, the culture around us has begin, begun to accept it more and more, and that means when we step outside of the walls of this building, fewer and fewer people have a problem talking about it like it's normal, talking about it openly. Um, you can read articles about it even being viewed in public places. I read a New York, uh, another article in a New York magazine, and it, it casually described the acceptance of pornography for what used to kind of be this taboo, dark part of society now exists pretty openly among young professionals in the workplace. It's a normal thing to view on your lunch break. It's a normal thing to talk about. It's a normal thing to have conversations about. 
So what we've seen over the last decade, um, and it's been building up until then, but over the last decade, porn has transitioned from something that is a social taboo to something that's mainstream and in many circles even kind of a hip thing to do. Um, some other changes have happened. It used to be a man problem. Um, that's not the case anymore. When you really look at the information, when you really look at the studies, more and more females are starting to struggle with pornography. Um, our children are being introduced to pornography at a really young age. Studies show that at 11 years old is when the average young person first sees a pornographic image. So let me put that in a way that is, uh, hits home a little more. Parents, if you have an 11-year-old, your child has probably seen pornography. Um, for some, that happens a little earlier. For some, it happens a little later. Um, there was a study in 2008 that only 3% of teenage boys and 17% of teenage girls had never seen Internet pornography. And we all know what has happened since 2008. That statistic can't be anywhere close to right anymore because of its pervasiveness. So... That's uh, harrowing news. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about it. And, and while I don't think the church has necessarily followed suit in our acceptance of pornography, um, I do think I need to point out that when you really look at the, infor at the data, at the studies, we don't accept it, but we've let it infiltrate our ranks in a similar way as culture. We're really not that different when you look at the numbers. Well, if you think about it, every, everything that becomes an issue in society finds its way into the church. It, yes. it, it seeps into the church, whatever it is. What has this done to us? I mean, maybe okay. what has it done to our society, but also what has it done to Christians, to the okay. church? Well, if I can, I'll tackle that kind of in two parts. You can't really separate them. Right. Um, but we'll start by looking at what it's done to our society. Um, the same article that I referenced earlier in New York Magazine talked about um, men being constantly exposed to these fake women. Um, it has made them develop unrealistic expectations. Um, these unrealistic expectations have caused difficulty forming relationships, and it's causing impotency um, in the bedroom. Um, women are feeling obliged to act in ways that they never would have acted generations ago. Um, this is in an effort to be more appealing and like the women that are on the screen. This has led to women becoming increasingly unconfident um, and less satisfied sexually. So, um, Time Magazine, I'll read a quote from Time Magazine. Pornography is making men sexually incompetent and women sexually unconfident. That's really good. Um, the effects don't stop there. So we can, we can dig past the personal level, and we see that with the acceptance of pornography comes the acceptance of some other um, kind of disturbing things. Sexually deviant behavior, sexual violence against women is increasingly accepted among those who view pornography. There's an increased risk of committing sexual crimes. Um, I could go on and on. It's heavily connected to major social justice issues. Um, we think, in maybe because it's free, um, that we're not casting a vote for stuff that's pretty bad. But the truth is, pornography is a form of modern um, sex slavery. Um, the average performer um, has a career stint of 18 months. They're generally um, addicted to drugs. Um, they were a victim of sexual abuse as a child. They're exposed to unsanitary conditions, horrible hours, low pay. They're almost always prostituted off screen. Um, 
Pornography is a major contributor to sex trafficking, sex slavery, child abuse, and prostitution. And, and every click is a vote for those things. So in that way, it's degrading our society. Um, it's causing our children to abandon hope of sexual monogamy. They have an increased perception of sexual activity in society. They become a cynic about love and uh, the need for affection. We have earlier onsets of first sexual intercourse. We have increased risk of STDs. All of that's really discouraging, I know. That's just, that's just the secular observations. Okay, so let's look at it from a spiritual perspective. Um, pornography is destroying our concept of self-worth. Psalms 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that we were made in the image of God, our creator. But pornography tells us that men are consumers and that women are a product to be consumed. And the honest truth is, none of us are very good at it by pornography standards. Um, it sets ridiculous standards of beauty. It causes men to define themselves by their sexual proudness. It causes women to define themselves by their sexual appeal. Pornography is destroying the gift of sex. Chris talked about that several weeks ago. Um, but when we talked about sex in the high school room, we talked about the three purposes for sex. Um, life, pleasure, and oneness. And pornography is taking all of those away from us. All of those things that the Bible talks about that were given to us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's one of the, that's one of the first commandments that we were given. And, and yet pornography tells us that life is an unwanted result of sex. Pornography tells us just the opposite of what God tells us. It creates a, a situation where life is a bad thing. Life is an accident that you don't want to happen. Proverbs 5.19 talks about the exhilaration and satisfaction of a physical relationship. Um, we see it also in, Pro, in uh, Song of Solomon, and we're not going to go there, but, but the Bible is very obviously points to the fact that sex was made for pleasure. Pornography draws us in with pleasure. It actually uses the same biological pathways in our brain of dopamine being released. I mean, God designed us for sex to be a pleasurable event. It's programmed into us biologically. But pornography takes those same pathways and it overstimulates them. And, and given time, it, it actually robs us of the pleasure that sex brings. You remember one of the secular observations was that pornography is creating empathy in the bedroom. It's robbing us of the pleasure. And finally, it's robbing us of our oneness. Um, we read in Genesis chapter 2, that for this reason, man shall leave his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Pornography is destroying our oneness because it joins our flesh with an image on a screen. The same chemical pathways, um, oxytocin and vasopressin, that join us with another human being during intercourse, um, it's rooted in biology. Pornography takes those and it throws them out of balance and it messes with our thinking and it takes away the oneness that we experience in sex. It's preventing our sanctification. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, who do not know God, 
It's the will of God, your sanctification. How does that display itself? Well, well, how you conduct yourself sexually. Pornography is preventing us from being different. It's preventing us from being set apart from the world around us. And finally, um, I'll end with this. Sorry, this is a long answer to your question. I may have to speed it up a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 18. Pornography is destroying our relationship with our Creator. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. You see, in the context of sexual immorality, Paul is, is writing about something powerful. And it's that your immorality, um, sexual immorality, destroys us in a lot of ways. But one of the ways it destroys us is it, it tears apart that covenant relationship that we have with our Creator. It says that the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And that's how we were designed to be, and that's how God wants us to be. And when we view pornography... It destroys that relationship that we have with God. Yeah, very thorough. Thank you. So, <laughs> let's, let's go here. If okay. we know it's over a $13 billion industry, we know that it's pervasive, we know that it's against God's will, that it stands in direct opposition to what God would have us believe about sex and all those kind of things, why hasn't the church talked about it? Have we just chosen to keep our head in the sand? or Do we not know that it's a problem? Um, why, why have we not talked about it? The short answer is shame. Um, I think if we open our, if you turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 2, um, we see shame first enter the picture. And, and the reality is we've, we've struggled with shame being attached to our sexuality and being attached to sin ever since then. Um, we don't talk about it because we feel a deep sense of shame. Um, especially things of a sexual nature. No one taught Adam and Eve how to, how to feel shame. It was just a natural response to their sin. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And I don't know if y'all have found this interesting, but it, it's interesting that it talks about nakedness so much in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I mean, it's brought up over and over again. In, in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And so you know how the story goes. We see the serpent come into the picture. We see that Eve sees that the, um, that the fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat is, is desirable, and she takes a bite of it, and she hands it over to her husband Adam, and Adam takes a bite of it. And after Adam takes the bite, their eyes are opened, and the first thing that they do is hide because they felt shame for the first time. And so if you look at this and, and you really put the pieces together, Eve, Eve kind of reasoned her way through this sin thing. I mean, she saw, she had a thought process. I mean, she looked at the apple, and it, it actually gives us reasons that maybe she wanted to take a bite. They weren't, they weren't rooted in truth, but she at least thought she had reasons. It doesn't give us a single reason for Adam. It just says Adam said, okay, honey, and he took the apple and ate it. And, 
And what I believe happened, Adam's sin was disobeying God. Adam's motivation was his naked wife. And I, I think for the first time, their eyes were opened and they realized the vulnerability that their sexuality brought to the table. And so I think that's why we feel different about sexual sin. Um, because sexual sin exposes our vulnerability at, at a really root level, and it makes us really uncomfortable to talk about it. Well, I'm sure a lot of it goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago with sex in general, is that we see that as a bedroom discussion that's taboo. We don't bring that up, and yeah. so anything associated with that probably makes us very uncomfortable as well. I'm going to yeah. come... I, I have two last questions for you, but I'm going to combine them, okay. and then maybe we have some time to to let some people ask some questions. Um, I'm going to ask it like this. What are some things that we can do? We know it's a problem. That's, okay. that's been settled. You've, you've, you've done a very good job of presenting that. So what can be done? What are some practical solutions for parents, for people that are struggling with it? What can be done to help to that end to, to, uh, to combat it? Okay. So in preparing for this sermon, I've changed my answer to that question okay. um, in a pretty important way. And that is... Um, the first thing that I think we really have to do is reframe the, the issue. And, and, and here's the deal. We often present the problem as if it's, it, here's the choice, a life with porn or a life without pornography. And, and that's not the issue at all. The issue at hand is a life with pornography or a relationship with God. And, and, and the two can't exist um, can't, can't exist can't together. Coexist. No, yeah. they, can't, they can't coexist together in your life. Because at the end of the day, we don't really have a sin problem. We don't really have a pornography problem, you might say. We, we have a heart problem. Um, and, and if we don't fix our heart problem, then any attempt to fix this pornography problem or, or any sin in general is, is going to end in failure. Lasting behavioral change stems from a change of the heart and a change of the focus. Um, so let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read starting in chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world... Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? All which refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So the first thing Paul shares with the church in Colossae is is that you're not going to do this by beating yourself into shape. Okay, self-directed recovery has no value. Um, it may appear wise, it may appear productive, but if you, if you rely on your own rules and your own boundaries, e even though they may seem really smart and they may seem like they have value, they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, it says, if you have been raised with Christ, 
Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him and his glory. If you backed up into chapter 2, it talks about the attachment of baptism and being raised with Christ. If you've been baptized, you've been raised with Christ. Your sins are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And when your sins are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, it lets us take our focus away from these things that have no value against fleshly indulgence and put our focus where it needs to be. And that's on Jesus, and that's on heavenly things, and that's on good things. And so, so, so the picture starts being painted is that we don't avoid sin through rules and laws. We, we have to wake up to the reality first and foremost that, that we can't do this on our own. You... If you have a pornography problem, you can't fix that problem on your own. And any attempt to fix it by yourself has no value against that fleshly indulgence. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we need in our lives to fix our sin problem. Okay, being attached to the blood of Jesus Christ is what we need to fix our sin problem. And we have to hear that loud and clear. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, he goes on to say, no behavioral change follows because in verse 5 he says, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurities, passions, evil desires, and greed which amounts to idolatry. So the picture Paul is painting is you don't, you don't start over here with behavioral change. You're not going to beat yourself into shape. First you follow Christ, then you reframe your focus, and once you've done that, then you set up a situation where you flee from immorality. Okay, so the first thing that we do if we're wrestling with, sexual, with a sexual sin is we have to reframe the way that we think about things. And there's three ways that we do this. We do it with scripture, we do it with prayer, and we do it with Christian community. Um, I've talked too much, and I know we don't have time <laughs> to delve into This is The high schoolers know exactly what's going on here, because I get, I get excited, and I talk too much, and, <laughs> and then I never get finished. Um, Christian community, scripture, and prayer. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 tells us that through prayer, that we tap into a peace of God which guards our hearts. Prayer is the way that we access the guardian to our heart. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 4. Jesus gave an example of what it means to fight sin with Scripture in Luke chapter 4 when three times in a row he responded to Satan directly, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus knew the Scripture, and when sin reared its head up, Jesus had Scripture loaded in his pistol, and that's what he shot the sin down with. And folks, the first thing that we have to do is load our pistol with the Word of God. The peace that guards our heart. The example of Jesus and using Scripture to fight sin. And finally, Christian community. In Galatians chapter 6, we're told to bear one another's burdens. In James chapter 5, we're told to pray for one another, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. Let me stop you there and ask you, if, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of literature saying that the only way to overcome this problem is to have accountability. You know, like the Covenant Eyes program, if you don't know about that, you can look it up. It's a, it's a good program that's out there for internet safety and things like that. But one of the things that it always harps on is you've got to be held accountable to somebody. 
like you're saying, Christian community. Obviously, yeah. that's not a sin you want everyone to know about. But would you agree with that, that you've got to have an accountability partner, as they call it? Yes. You know, it's funny. In, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in the context of sexual immorality, said, if your eye causes you to sin, you need to pluck it out. Mm-hmm. And giving up our anonymity is way hard. I think I'd rather pull out an eye <laughs> than confess my sins to, to someone in this room sometimes. And that's a shame that it's like that, but it is. It is so difficult to give up our anonymity. I can't think of a, more, of, of a more powerful tool that Satan is using to keep us in the cycle of shame and guilt and sin than, than forcing us, making us believe that we have to tackle that sin alone. Right. If we're going to pluck something out of our lives, if we're going to pick one thing to pluck out of our lives when it comes to sexual sin, it's our anonymity. You have to tell someone. Yeah. And, and that's a big step, and it's uncomfortable. And it... And, and you probably, if you're married, you, you probably need to have this conversation with your spouse, but your accountability partner does not need to be your spouse. It, it needs to be a trusted member um, of the same sex that worships here in this Christian community with you because that's why we were put here, to walk with one another together with sins like this. Excellent. Right, we're gonna, we've got a few minutes. Um, if you have some questions, I realize this is a sensitive topic, so you may not. Robert Odell's got the microphone. He'll come around to you. You want to raise your hand if you have a question? Um, anything that we went through it kind of fast? If there's anything that you'd like Blake to... Y'all notice that Chris, two weeks ago when he talked on sex, he said, no questions, don't giggle, and then he puts mm-hmm. me up here and lets you all ask questions. Yes, that is my rule yeah. when I talk about that subject. Don't, don't giggle, don't snicker, and don't uh-huh. ask questions. And they're all snickering, and you're about yes. to let them ask questions. Yes, so. but with Blake, it's different, Yeah. right? Here's one right here. Billy, he's going to bring the microphone to you. Be patient on him. He's very slow. No. <laughs> As you indicated, uh, pornography is very uh, prevalent. Is there a legal definition, and is it concrete enough to be implemented? I mean, there... I don't know. Um, I mean obviously like child pornography is illegal and and that is that is very defined um, by the courts Um, there was a time when it was viewed more uh, as if it I don't know it was a little more questionable it's pretty widely accepted and uh, I mean from the eyes of our government if they're over 18 it's okay I, I think I could put it like that so I mean there's a lot of gray areas, I guess, but... Um, and Billy, are you asking, is there, some, is there some subjectiveness? Because I think there is. You know, I think, you know, when you look at defining it narrowly as something, you know, I mean, uh, you look at what Playboy has done recently, they've decided that they're not going to feature nude women anymore, that they're going to feature scantily dressed women, because that's now kind of where people are going. Um, I don't know, uh, predominantly men, they say would rather view a scantily dressed woman rather than a nude woman. Is that still pornography? I think so. But, you know, is it, is it always defined in one way, in one manner? I don't think it is. But it obviously gets subjective, you know, uh, at, at times, because there's some that would say if you show your ankles, that's pornography. I don't believe that. But, you know, it does, 
it does kind of, uh, I don't know if that's what you were asking, but I think that's worth noting as well. Well, and, and it's important to also point out, pornography is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we kind of zero in on that. I think most of us kind of know what that is. Underneath the surface is this whole underworld of the, the sexualization of our society in general. And, and, and so while that may not be pornography in black and white, um, it is undermining our value system as Christians. It's impacting our teenagers, um, the, the hypersexualization of, of everything that we see around us. So. Thank you. Do you have another, another question? Barry's got one right here. Yeah, he's got one. Uh, maybe mostly comment, but maybe you'd add, uh, add to it. And that in this society, whether it's our youth or the adults here, if, if we think we can uh, have this in social, cultural, umbilical cord hooking us into the media and Hollywood, and we can watch the same movies and the same TV everybody does and absorb the same ads and, and, and live up to Scripture, we're kidding ourselves. As society heads this direction, we've got to turn around and go the other way. And, and it means you've got to make choices. There's stuff everybody else is watching. I take pride when I'm doing a jail interview and they mention somebody I've never heard of. You know, <laughs> disconnected is healthy. And, and there's a lot of what Hollywood media puts out and stuff. And we just can't, we can't be connected. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, did Jesus come to turn the world upside down? That's what everybody says. No, he came to turn it right side up. It was already upside down, right? But I think being connected, I, I agree with you to a point. I, I think, you know, definitely there are things that the world promotes that we can't promote in our lives. Um, I don't think you were saying this, but I'm not one that believes you've got to do away with your phone and you've got to get off the Internet and you can't be on the Internet, can't be on Facebook or any of those things. I mean, four million people a day search for God on Google. You know, we need a presence on the Internet. Uh, if we're going to be on social media or whatever it is, we need to use filters and all those things, but we need to use it in the right way as a Christian should use it to promote God, to promote the church and things like that. I think what you're saying is, though, that there are certain things that we can't take the good and leave the bad, you know, because pretty much all bad. And so we've got to be able to cut the cord with those things and just say, look, that, that's something that Hollywood promotes that's not beneficial to me spiritually. Am I right? Yeah. What were you going to say? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Since I was a teenager, James McCoy has been telling me, 1 Corinthians 15:33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And I think that goes with the media that we are consuming. Um, so uh, I think don't be deceived. If that's the company you keep, it will corrupt. And time for one more question. Forrest right here. Do you consider this problem an addiction? Yes. And if it is an addiction... Is there something like a 12-step program that has been established or could help in this? The, the same pathways um, 
the drug addicts experience in the brain with the release of dopamine and, and all of that are, are evident and scientifically studied and documented and do happen with the viewing of pornography. So it definitely has addictive tendencies on the level of, of, of a drug, um, of an illegal drug. I'm not aware of any 12-step program per se. There are, um, because it zeroes in so much on, on the internet, there are attempts at that through programs like Covenant Eyes. Um, they are a Christian-based um, group that, that's working to provide accountability and filtering and, and some means to help, and some um, resources to help people walk through those problems. There may be a 12-step recovery program like you talk about. I'm not aware of it. Um, but I do think that is a good point. To, uh, I mean, it, it is addictive. And, and so that means that we as a church, when we're, when we're dealing with that issue, have to recognize that this is a process that, that people are going to have to go through. And, and it, is a, it is a difficult thing. And, th and there is a physical side to viewing pornography that has to be addressed. It's, it's not easy. Well, thank you. And thanks for being here tonight. Blake and I want to offer an invitation, and this one's a little bit different in that if you're someone who is struggling with this issue, uh, I know that you probably don't feel comfortable coming forward and seeking the prayers of this church family. We want to always offer that, but, you know, namely, come see one of us. Come see one of the shepherds. Um, don't suffer in silence with this. Um, this is something that you need someone to help you through. And we want to help you with that. And then as always, if there's someone here tonight with any kind of other need, I know we have a lot of folks that are struggling right now with sickness and other things, but we certainly uh, would like to pray with you. Or if you're someone who's considering um, you know, becoming a child of God and you want to study the Bible, or perhaps you have studied and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we want to help you with that as well. Again, thank you for being here tonight. Caleb's going to lead a song. If you have a need, come now as we stand and as we sing.